Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Coming to you live this morning from Eleuthera Islands in the Bahamas. A little bit of waves, a little bit of the wind blowing through the palm trees, a little bit of a sprinkler system right outside of our villa. (laughs) Took a quick trip here with the baby, with my mom and her boyfriend, and having a really nice time so far. It's just like very remote. There's hardly anything going on, really, just like beach, pool, and some food, and it's just very relaxing. Right now, I'm sitting on the deck of our room watching Mark and Sienna play in the ocean. It's really, really cute. You know how I feel about being by the ocean. It's really comforting to me, really calming. I think the back and forth of the waves is very reminiscent of the back and forth of grief. I love it. And uh, if you're in a winter type of scenario right now, maybe that sitting here listening to this, hearing the waves and the wind and the trees in the background can be a little bit calming for you too. Another amazing episode today, Sabir M. Peel is with us. I loved talking with him. Getting his perspective on grief was so interesting. He has a lot to say about the masculine perspective and vulnerability and why that's so amazing and opening up is just so helpful as a man. That message needs to be out there more in society. And he is so clear in how he speaks about it and just really convincing in that like, this is the best thing for a male to do. And it's so true. We also get into a little bit on parenthood. We're both parents and how that affects our grief and how sometimes it can be really, really hard, but you have to get up. You have to be there for your child and we can't let grief rule our world. A couple quick notes. If you haven't done so, please consider going to Apple Podcasts and rating the podcast. I would really appreciate that. And not only helps me if I'm doing a good job, but it also helps the podcast rank so that other people can find this podcast and hopefully benefit it the way that you are too. So go help a fellow griever out, help me out and go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. As always, head over to social at so sorry with Gianna on Instagram to see more of my content. You can connect with me there. So message me, DM me, comment, whatever you want to do. I love hearing from you guys. Here's a couple more seconds of the wind and the waves. Ah, perfect. Right on cue. (laughs) Enjoy today's episode. Here's Sabir Peel. Thank you so much for being here. You are men's style pro. Style has been a part of your life for how long? When did you know that you had this special talent of just looking a little better than everybody else? It's funny. I think it's probably been always been a part of my life, but recognition probably didn't come until like high school. Just people like, oh man, your style is like really on point. Mm -hmm. But like from when I was a small kid, like I took notice of style just because like my grandmother, she worked in dry cleaner for 35 years. Okay. So when I was really small. So she used to work right in Germantown in Philly. So when I was about like four or five years old, I used to go with her to the dry cleaner while she was working. And it was like a big one. It wasn't like a small, like outsourced. They did everything. Uh-huh. And I used to watch her press clothes. I used to sit in the big laundry baskets and watch it. So like attention to like how my clothes looked was always there even if it wasn't like the most stylish thing it was always like the most pressed I didn't yeah, mean like crisp and clean yeah. yeah even in like the baggy like 
I, cause I, I was born in the mid eighties, grew up in the nineties. So like I grew up in a baggy hip hop era. Like I never did baggy saggy pants. I might've had a longer pant, but I never did like baggy, but I still needed to look crisp. You didn't so have I, the MC hammer thing going on. No, 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 that wasn't me. <laughs> but I probably have like a Gumby haircut or two somewhere in the past. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's always, it's been a, a major part of like who I am my entire life. I feel like that's such a scene out of a movie. I love this. I'm picturing this in my mind, like you sitting in like one of the laundry baskets and like yeah. all the, the laundry rings are going around and that ah, was it. All, all yeah. day long. It's funny because like I recently drove by there and I was like, wow, like I spent so much of like my small part of my childhood in the back of this stone building. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any people specifically that you looked up to for their style? So it's funny, like I, I didn't have like personal style influences. I think as I got older, I just started looking towards more athletes though, because I was also mm. an athlete. But as I got older, I think my style was more like either musician based or like sports based. So like I loved when I looked like old school, like Rat Pack style from like a little bit more of like a Sammy Davis Jr. style because I love that he could dance. When I saw someone dancing in a suit, I was like, oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And then I was in like the the Usher, Pharrell was probably like, is and probably still my biggest style influence. And then like the Kanye's of the world really, like really piqued my interest. Yeah. And I think once I really started like being a student of style, like the designers became in my, my people. So like Ralph Lauren became my guy, Michael Bastion. I love what Tom Ford did like mm -hmm. through all his iterations in terms of style. And then like, it just goes deeper. It, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. I was like a rabbit hole person. Like I found one thing I like, then I kind of deep dove into that person. Then I was like, oh, let me deep dive into the magazines. Then I got into the GQs, the Esquires of the world. And I think I kind of just ran from there. Yeah. And GQ and Esquire really noticed the talent that you had and you won some of the competitions that they had. Tell me about that. One of my fraternity brothers was like, hey, there's this Esquire best dressed real man in America competition. I knew the person who had won the year before I entered just because I started following him because he had a style blog and he was young. He was at like Columbia. And I was like, yo, this dude's fly. He's an athlete and he's won America's best dressed real man in college. I never thought about entering. Mm. I was like, I'm good. I don't need to like, I'll just take this on my own. But my fraternity brother was like, yo, Sabir, you should enter. By this time we're out of college. And you had to enter at least five looks. I put 10 looks in. Then people voted at first. So the year that I entered, 3,000 people entered. Oh my God. And I was like 2009, 10, I made it to the final five. And then I, wow. won, I won the fan favorite vote. So I was in the magazine, doing all these interviews and whatnot. So it became a big thing quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Was that like an out-of-body experience to be like, holy shit, I just won this thing and now I'm here posing yeah, for it? Well, it blew my mind because like after the competition was, or when it was in like its height, when they made the final five and I knew I was going to be in a magazine, I started getting like all the people talking out about me on the internet, because this is like at the beginning of hashtag menswear yeah. for the internet. So like Instagram hadn't even started yet. It was about to be something. Imagine so like, the world back in the day, pre-Instagram. Yeah. Our kids are going to think we're so archaic. Right. So it was like <laughs> Tumblr and some Facebook groups, but then there were, there were forums like style forum where people were like all the men's where nerds would go in and talk about each other's outfits. Like, what do you think about this? Then I was seeing people writing articles like, oh, who is this guy from the final five? I was on like this website, this website. People want to interview you. I was like, oh, damn, this is like crazy right now. Had you started Men's Style Pro at the time or that was still something that you were working towards? Nope. So I started Men's Style Pro right afterwards. So like that September, I was in the magazine. Two months later, I started on November 19th, I guess that's 2010. Mm -hmm. I started Men's Style Pro. 
because people then were like coming to me like, why don't you have a blog? Why don't you have a website? We want to learn more about like men's style from like a regular dude. Mm-hmm. So I remember another friend from college who's a photographer. I was talking to him like late night. We had a couple of drinks. We were like drunk talking on the phone when you actually still talk to people on the phone. He was like, yo, you should make a website. You should do it. Like, I believe in you. You know how to do this. And while we were on the phone, I had my computer out on my lap. I went to WordPress and the first thing that came and out just did it. was Men's Style Pro. The first thing that came out and I bought the domain. That's when it started. I love it. I love when things kind of just fall into place like that. Like, do you believe in the whole, like the universe kind of lines up when it needs to? Yeah. Yeah. Really Cause it does. seems like that's very much what's happening in your story here. So I love that. Yeah. There, there was a lot of like dominoes that just fell in and I was mm-hmm. like, this is what I need to be. This is what I need to be doing. Yeah. And then what's, so that was 2010. What's the last 12 years been like? Give me some of the top highlights that you've had in your career with Men's Style Pro. So 2010, make the magazine for Esquire. 2013, though, in more like a competition realm, I won GQ's Fall Best Dress. That's insane. And I had no idea. People were, obviously, this is Instagram is a live and well thing that, at that point. And people were hitting me up like, yo, congratulations. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I had no idea. They were just saying congratulations. I just woke up and <laughs> saw it. And so like that was huge. And then in that in that time frame too, I got my first national campaign for Johnson and Murphy shoes. And it was just off of the strength that like when I first started the blog, one of the first pair of shoes I wanted was a pair of Oxblood tassel loafers because it was like the menswear shoe. But I was like, I'm going to wear it. I'm going to dress it down with jeans, but it, it looks so good. It's that rich burgundy color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I can and picture it. I was just, you know, yeah, I was just seeing them pictures like, hey, I found like their PR people. I was like, hey, it's when I give you a couple of pictures I shot for these blog posts. And then they're like, hey, we want you to be a part of this national campaign. So like amazing national campaign for Johnson and Murphy worked for GQ. Then I had my own like web series for Esquire, which was huge called Refashioned. And like that took off like crazy. There's just so many like I've, I've done clothing design. I've won Best of Philly for um, some of my clothing designs with a, a company called Moda Matters. It's like so many things. Now, like I'm thinking of like the years of things that I've done. Yeah, yeah. And you probably don't all that often like stop and sit and think of everything that you've accomplished. And you seem like somebody who is so passionate about it that it's not work for you. Is that the case? Yeah, like literally, like I know like I have a shit ton of things to do, but I'm like, all right, you're going to get done. I like doing it. I want to get into your family a little bit. Tell me what happened there. Like I never had like a close family relationship. I come from a highly dysfunctional family like a lot of people do. My mother passed away when I was 11. Oh, wow. And okay. You know, you never get through grief. Obviously, like you grieve and grieve and like some things might trigger you or you just always have that thing weighing on you. And I put like a lot of resentment into like my relationship with my dad early on, like when my mom died, because like, I just felt like he wasn't there for me. And like, I never lived with him. Like I didn't live after, after the age of three, I never lived with my dad. I lived with my grandmother who was like my, my main guardian. And my mom was in and out. Cause like my mom and my dad were both uh, affected by drugs. They were drug addicts. Oh man. Okay. So, so it was like a crazy dynamic, like being a North Philly kid, trying to stay alive, living with your grandma. She's old. She has to care of herself. It's kind of living with my brother and his wife. It's too many moving parts. Yeah. So it was very much, I would look at situations where I felt like, I shouldn't have to be doing so much as a kid. And I'm like, where the hell is my dad? Like, why aren't, right. you, why aren't you being my dad? I was going to say, do you feel like your childhood was robbed from you? Yeah, because I feel like I'm probably one of the few people I know who's always had a job, like from the age of like 10. Like I used to work in a barbershop when I was a little kid. 
like sweeping up hair, then eventually like washing hair. And then I worked under the table at like a clothing store, putting clothes back and like getting paid cash. And then I worked at a diner. I never had time to just play <laughs> and yeah. like have fun and not think about like, what's my next meal. So then there were times where my dad was like kind of present. So I felt like, okay, you, you want me to be your kid, but you don't. And I'm how like, was it when he was present? Like, do you feel that you really latched onto the relationship and you were like, oh my God, he's here. I want to soak up everything I can. Or were you still in that? Like, what the hell are you doing here? I'm resentful. It was probably more on like some days I was latched on. I was happy to have a dad. Mm -hmm. And then there were other times I was like, I know you don't really care, but you're happy that like I'm doing what I remember he came to like my fourth grade graduation and like he was proud of my accomplishments because like, you know, I was smart. He was like, I have a really smart son, does well in school. But it was like, all I need to do is see you at least once a week and just, I, that's a, that would have been satisfaction. Yeah. But yeah. I went years without seeing. I, I never developed like a really close bond, but I also was like, damn, I'm trying to. But mm -hmm. it was just hard because I felt like he was part of the reason that my mom died. And he, at the point where he could have taken time to be like, all right, your mom's dead. I, let me, let me step in and really be more of a parent. You don't have to right. be like super dad. You could have been like, let me be here a couple of times a month on a regular basis. And as a kid, that's so tough because it's like, I'm not asking you to move mountains. I just want you to be there and be present. And yeah. it's hard to realize why that can't happen. And the stories I hear from, from people with this and their parents, it's such a shame. Did you find yourself trying to work through your grief of your mom, like in other years, like maybe when you were 11, you didn't quite understand what to do with it. But then all of a sudden you're 18 and you're like, shit, I need to sit and, and analyze this a little bit more. When I got a little bit older, like 17, 18 is when it really started to weigh on me because like I was applying to go to college and none of my family had been to college. Like I was a first person, first generation college. Like, and thank you. And like people like where I come from, like that's, it's almost looked down upon like, oh, you want to leave? You think you're better than us and shit like that. I wish I just had like at that moment, I was wishing like, I wish my mom was here because mm -hmm. like she was a different breed of individuals. Like she was like, all right, you got this. We can do this. What do you need? That's when I started to realize like how I much I missed my mom. Mm -hmm. And then that's why I think my resentment for my dad got bigger because there got were times it. in college where, yes. I, where like, I'd be drunk in college and like have these freakouts. Like I remember I called my dad one time and I, I don't know how I can recall this because I know I was like drunk, like college drunk. And I was sitting somewhere on campus and I called him. I was like, I'm so mad at you because you didn't protect my mom and you're not here for me ever. And I like flipped out. It was like a bad deal, but like I'm spending the majority of my life grieving, grieving my mother more than my father, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. How did he take that conversation? Oh, I think that broke him a little bit. He tried to be like nicer. Like he never got, became like closer, but he tried yeah. to be nice. But you saw a transition or some type of change in yeah. him. And I think too, it was like, I, I was older. I was an adult and I felt right. more comfortable speaking to him in a way that was like more like terse and forward. Yeah not feeling like, oh, I'm just your kid. But I was like, from all of what hasn't happened, like I didn't get enough of some kind of level of care. And like, just like having acknowledged that like I have a parent. Like I remember being in college and like we'd have family days and like, I, I don't have any family. I know you're alive and out there and you never was like, you know what, I'm gonna come see you. Like I tell mm -hmm. you when these days are, I'm like, you know, or just even like, hey, Spirit. I'm gonna come up to see you at college. Like, show me around your campus. Mm -hmm. Like, I shouldn't have to be the one to be like, hey, begging for it. Yeah. Like, you should be proud. Like, oh, damn, you, you made the college, you're doing this, you're doing well. No. It is crazy how grief, I think, 
take somebody into adulthood really quickly. You know, I was 27 when my dad died, so I still pretty much was an adult, but you know, you're still kind of like, you, I didn't have my own family yet, right? So you still feel like you're the kid in terms of the dynamic that you have with your parents. And that really shifted. And I can imagine as 11, 16, 17, 18, how difficult that is. Also, how grief makes you have conversations with people, like when your parents all of a sudden become equals, right? right. Like yeah. they're not just your parent anymore or like almost, I don't wanna say respect goes out the window, but things get raw real quick. I think what respect is shifts. Like before yeah. you respect them as your parent, but now you just respect them as a person yeah. that you just talk to. It's like when you talk to a friend that like, you, you know, you have a friend that you're always like 100% for it with, I feel like there, there's often a switch like that with your parents. It can happen. You said your mom passed from drug addiction. Did you find yourself ever being resentful of her as well? Or do you think, you know, sometimes we have, I am so guilty of this. We yeah. have this tendency of putting the dead on a pedestal. So do yeah. you feel like your, your resentment got funneled to your dad or did you feel it for her too? No, I definitely felt it for her. And I felt it young because like when I moved in with my grandmother when I was like four or five, and my mom was in and out because of her drug use. My, mm. my grandma was like, I don't want her in here, but then it's her daughter. So yeah. I had to watch her go through that with my mom. Yeah. And I used to resent the things where like, there would be times where she would come and take me like, oh, I want to have my son and then take me to places where I want, wasn't safe. So I mm. resented the fact where I was like, yo, I know this is bad. Like I'm not a dumb kid and I'm a kid in this environment. So you grow up quick. So I had resentment in the fact where it was like, I guess when I was smaller, I didn't know like how prevalent addiction was and like didn't understand it hundred percent. But like you grew up in a situation where you know people on drugs and things like that. So you know what it feels like and seems like. And I was like, damn, mom I was like, you know, I'm right here. Like, just be good for me for this month. I don't want to be worried about you coming in or like worrying about like, are you so strung out? Are you going to come like steal from us? Or are you going to hurt yeah. me? So like I had those things when I got a little bit older, right before she got sick. So like from her drug use, she contracted like HIV and AIDS. Okay. She came back home because she got ill. And I spent a lot of time with her going back and forth to her doctor's appointments and going to dialysis. And it made me understand more what like addiction can do to you and like right. that level of pain. And I stopped resenting her in that. I kind of had the same thing. Like once my son was born in 2016, my dad got sick. So my dad ended up getting sick from cancer, terminal lung cancer. Wow. I kind of like made peace with my, in my mind with my dad when I was a little bit older. And, but I was like, all right, I'm gonna have a son. Like, I want you to at least meet your grandson and know that he is alive and for him to meet you, even though he won't remember. He, he apologized to me, but I like forgave him for his stuff. Cause like, all right, I'm, I'm a grown ass man. Now I'm out of college. I studied things. I know about death, dying and grief and addiction. Mm -hmm. I know about depression. I was like someone, me personally who suffered and like going through therapy and medication, I've put, I've checked myself into mental health hospitals. Wow. Good for like, you. Thank you. And I was like, if I, the point of me resenting you now is just like, a hamster running on a wheel. Like I'm getting nowhere for this. It's such an important message and such an important realization to have. I mean, yeah. like after a while, you're only hurting yourself, right? Like that, yeah. what do they say? Like the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over again with the same result. 
Right. It's really hard though. And especially this relationship between a child and a parent, like you always want to see the best in them, like no matter what. I mean, there's a million people that have this same story in terms of like, I've been hurt over and over and over again, but that's my mom. That's my dad. That's my sibling, whoever it is. Like, of course I want to be there for them and want to try to help. But I want to talk about your son. How did becoming a parent transform the way that you looked at your own parents? So it, it was kind of twofold. Cause it was like one, I was like, all right, I have a, I have a kid now. And I was like, well, what did my parents think when they had me? How do they want to care for me? How did they look at me as a person? Like, this is our, this is our little person now. Like we got to take care of them. I was like, did they want to take care of me? I was like, parenting is hard. Like, yeah. Oh, a yes. parent, Do you see these dark circles? Yes, it is. A parent is hard. I was like, I remember initially for me, like I didn't want to have any kids and like ended up having a kid. I'm like, all right, I have to be a good parent because like, if my son sees me the way I see my parents, mm-hmm. it will devastate me. And I've, I've had that realization like a couple of years ago. And I thought to myself, I was like, yo, I can't be resentful of like how I was raised from like my parents' perspective, because not everyone's built to be a parent. And it might've been worse for me if they were here, like in terms of like around when I needed them, because like I, they could have been putting so much negativity into like our total relationship. Yeah. I think the absence of it might have actually made it better. I understand that. I do. I would say it, it was made my my upbringing different. Like I wasn't a traditional parent or really grandparent and things like that. Like I was raising myself, getting doses of what parents were. But I was like, I was never parented. It was just like they were there. I knew they cared about me. If I needed blood donor, they're my people. But right. Like, they were know. just a figure. They weren't actually the support that you needed right. as a child. I kind of had this epiphany when I had my child, I have a 15 month old daughter, Sienna, and I, I see some things differently now. Like my husband says it all the time. He's like, holy shit. Our parents must've loved us like crazy. Like he's like the way that we love her now. I, I, I feel that like that pull towards your child and just little things that my dad did as a single father would, that was just like, okay, whatever. That's what dads do. But now being his like seeing it, I'm like, oh my God, like, he took me to Disney World when I was seven. And again, I just thought, oh, okay, well, parents take their kids to Disney World. But like, I see now, like, first of all, the cost of something like that is astronomical <laughs> through the roof. But to take this little girl on her first trip and like, I think about, you know, all the pictures of me from that trip, I look absolutely ridiculous because he's trying to do my hair and dress me and all these things. He was not part of men's style pro at that time. Let me tell you, he was a very fashionable man, but maybe not dressing a a seven-year-old girl. But yeah, so I, I started to like almost understand his love for me in a different way. And just like know that towards the end of his life, we did have a pretty complicated relationship and it made me reset, like, you know what, maybe that's just all he was able to give me at the time. But at the end of the day, I know that he he did love me. And yeah. but even that in itself is hard, because then when they're not there, and you have these realizations, it's hard to like, who do you ask questions to you're kind of just left to your own devices to, to think and wonder and, and all of that. As far as your grief goes with with your dad's passing, I mean, again, the this complicated relationship that you had, like, what did that feel like to you? Was it a traditional grief that you thought that you would have? Or was there almost this feeling of relief? I've had people on the podcast who termed the phrase grief relief. She had such a complicated relationship with her dad. He was dealing with alcoholism. And she was like, I feel sick saying this, but I had such a feeling of relief when he passed that it was done. I, I think for him, like, part of his like, when he got extremely sick with cancer, he was like, physically a wreck. Mm -hmm. And like, 
I don't want I don't want to see anyone go through that's that. hard yeah and like I think I saw in him for the first time him feeling sorry for how bad of a parent he was because he cried it was one day and I felt his pain for his lack of parenting mm. and, he, and he like said it to me I remember I was sitting on this edge of his bed while he and at this point like he was like a week away from dying he just apologized to me like profusely wow and I was, and, and I was the first time that like I saw him care for the fact that he was my dad. Did your head explode? Oh, I, I didn't even know what to do. And I'm like, <laughs> I can think through anything and I, I'm hyper emotional. Like I feel people's emotions, like everyone. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I was like, I don't know what to feel. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know if I should feel relieved, should I be sad? Or Thank anger you. even, like, why is this happening I now? I didn't feel any anger though. Oh, I, you're a good person. Like, I would <laughs> You know why? Cause I think I felt so much anger for so long. That's true. And it was like, I, I don't feel that anymore. I'm like, I'm here just watching my dad die. But when he died, and I, I've said it's not a lot, but like of, to a few people, I was like, I'm fucking alone. Yeah. Like no grandparents, no parents, barely any family. And it's like, oh, this is where I am now. Yeah. And that's what like, I go through waves of that. Like my grief, it now goes to like waves. Cause like, I feel more just, of like, I have no parents. I wanted to be older and still have parents. Yeah. My situation is not even as extreme as yours. I still have my mom and I still feel alone because I'm an only child. So I have no other siblings. You know, I looked at it as there's no other person on this earth that looked at my dad the way that I did. I can't converse with somebody that understands. And our little unit on that side was my dad and my grandmother. And my dad died in May. My grandmother died in March the following year. So it was like within a year that unit was gone and it was just me left alone. But yeah, yeah. I said, I said, I have so many friends and family that came out to be there for me in my darkest time. And it didn't matter. It didn't yeah. matter. If you asked me, I was like Jack and Titanic floating on that piece of wood yeah. in the middle of the ocean by myself. <laughs> oh, I feel you. And like, it's crazy now because like my friends, have become my closest thing. And I think yeah. for me, friends have always been my closest. Mm-hmm. Right? Cause I think when I was younger, a lot of us had similar situations. So we like had each other. Yeah. And when I got older, it was like, I'm good at building relationships and caring for people. And it was just like, I, I, I found the right people and became friends with them. And it's like, I still even, I have envy issues with those people. And I'm 35 years old, I'm like, yo, I still look at you like you're so happy with your parents or these things are working out. My life isn't terrible, but like I, I've went through so much continued grief. It broke me. Like I remember like when I first started going to therapy and I was like, there's parts of my mind that I have like a great grasp on in terms of like, I feel this because of how I was raised or like I miss having these moments because I don't have parents around. But I think all of it like warped my brain for a long time where it was like, I'm just fucking broken. How did you work through that? I haven't, (laughs) to be honest. Like I went through a long period of time where I was just like, all right, here's this medication I'm taking and here's me going to therapy. And then I I did things, not like it was just like, what was me? I'm big into fitness. So like, let me get back into my fitness. Let me like crank out some good work. Let me eat well. Let me spend as much time with my family as I can that I do have. Spend time with my friends who like really love me. Like I love people. Like I need to be around people. Yeah, yeah. I love being alone, but people are my- Yeah, me too. I'm an introverted extrovert. Yeah. Love being around people, but I need that time alone. So like, I I think I threw myself into all those things. That's healthy. That's a great way to go about it. For a while, it didn't work though. I I think I was grasping at straws. 
I don't know. I think I started to come around like probably like a year or two ago. I had more of a consistent way of like looking at therapy, looking at like my health side of it and like digging into my work and trying to be a good dad at the same time. Yeah. I was like, I can't be so fucked up to where it's like my son is seeing this crippled person. Mm-hmm. And that's why like, at one point I was like, I do not want to live anymore. And I was like, I can't do that to my son. Real quick, I want to mention Rent the Runway. You guys know that I'm traveling a ton. We moved different states. How do I keep up with that with my wardrobe? Well, here's the trick. I don't really have a lot of clothes. I have some basics and the rest of it, I rent from Rent the Runway. It's the best way to keep up with the styles, the seasons, everything that you could possibly need, any events that you need to go to. I don't have to worry about lugging all that stuff with me. I just rent it and have it sent to whatever location I'm in. But it's not just for travel. I did it all the time too before we were traveling and it's just a great way to make myself feel better. You know, who wants to be in an outfit that you don't even feel comfortable in, you don't like the way that you look? Rent the Runway lets you mix up your styles as often as you want. You can choose from 700 designers. I've found designers that I hadn't even heard of that now are some of my favorites. And the absolute best feature, free shipping and dry cleaning. Amazing to not have to worry about that whatsoever. And that's a huge savings for both financially and with time. There's exclusive discounts that you get all the time and you can pause or cancel at any time. They have several different plans that fit your needs. So you can pick how often you think you're going to be wanting styles or how many styles you're going to need per month. They have memberships that are starting as low as $45 Great way to try out Rent the Runway, try new trends to spice up that wardrobe, log on and act now with code RDRGiana. I feel that my experience with grief definitely changed when I had my daughter because I don't have the ability to just take days at a time to be in bed, right? Like you got to get up, you got to show up for them. Even just today, for example, yesterday, I had one of the most painful days in in probably years that I've had about my dad, you know, it just comes up out of nowhere and smacks you in the face. You're well aware of this. So hard. Yeah. And this was one of those days yesterday. And today when my eyes opened, all I wanted to do was stay in bed. But I said to myself, get up, take her out, go to the grocery store. Like you can do nothing but smile when I'm with her. And that for me is like my workout. That's me going to the gym. You know, that's the adrenaline or the the endorphins for me is to be with her. And I wonder what it was like for you because my therapist actually had to get on me a little bit about it because she was like, you can't put this pressure on this child to fix you. Because after this feeling of being alone and having nothing left, I was grabbing onto her so hard to be my person again. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure for a child. Mm -hmm. I was partially a different person for Hendrix when I was in like the deep depths of like my like depression. I was a person that got Hendrix ready for school. I got up, I made breakfast, I got him dressed and I took him to school. So like, I knew I was like, he needs good energy. He needs to see like his people working as a good system but like i think about like me having that for school i never had that i want him to learn like that people love him so much i want to be up with him and like help him get through the day yeah. so i was like i had to like train myself to be a different person yeah and it was genuine because it helped me to like all right so you're you're up you're good you're going but it's so damn painful to be like i don't feel like doing this i don't care what anybody feels like i i don't want to move like, I don't want to move. I don't want to look at anything. I don't care. I literally didn't care. There was days I was just like, all right, whatever. Yeah. It's really hard when you get into that phase too, because it's like, that's the only thing that feels good is just mm-hmm. to be that fucking miserable. What hurt for me on that too, like 
outside of the family part, like work is a big thing for me. I love working because mm-hmm. I like, I love to create. I like creating like experiences, content, clothes, like energy, vibes. Like I want to, because I want everything and everyone to feel good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I could create anything. There were times I would get up and I'm like, I don't have the energy to take this picture or write this thing or do yeah. this or even think of an idea. I'm very good at like idea execution. I was like, my brain doesn't even want to create ideas anymore. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, you should just die. I was like, that's how I felt. And I, that's how I felt all the time. The medicine leveled me out for a little bit. Then I was like, now I'm like slightly lethargic. I don't feel creative. I don't mm-hmm. feel cute anymore. I'm like, fuck, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm attractive to myself or mm-hmm. my world or mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a competent person. People who deal with depression and grief and everything at once, I don't know how we survive. Yeah. Like something gets us through, especially like when you have a kid, you're like, you cannot not be there for your kid. Exactly. You can choose not to. My ex-wife is a great partner. Like she's dope. And I think that was partially too. Like, I know I could depend on her for those yeah. things at times. But I was like, I don't have it. And like, and yeah. I can't have it. It's not like something that's like switch on and off. I just like right now I don't have it. So I got to find new coping mechanisms to like get me through this shit or I, I don't know what I'm going to do. You said you're feeling better. Do you feel better now? I do. I, I have for you, a while. You got your creative juices back? Creating is easy. <laughs> Now, yeah, too, you're, if I'm not working or creating, I'm not, I'm not making any money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about how your grief maybe affected your style. I mean, we're talking about these days that it's like, you just don't feel like getting out of bed. You don't feel like doing anything. And it's so easy to just be in the, the sweatpant mode that like everybody else has found out about in the last two years with COVID, but with your dad's loss in 2018 and mine in 2017, we kind of made it stylish before it was stylish. Yeah. You're saying, you know, you lost some of your creativity. Did you find your style changing a little bit when you were in your dark days of grief or did getting I've, dressed make you feel better? So have you ever seen the movie, A Single Man? No. It's directed by Tom Ford and the main character is Colin Firth. Okay. So from like a King's speech and it's based off of a book, but he, there's a line in it. I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but he basically talks about like, even in my darkest times, I get dressed and I put on a suit and I put on a pocket square and a tie and I shine my shoes and I feel good about that moment of my day. And I can, it can get me out of the door. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of people talk to me because like when people see me on the street and I'm suited, people recognize me if I'm not suited too, but they seem to be like, yo, oh, you're men's style pro. Like, I love your suits. I love your style. I love that. And it's one of those things where like, I, I never get dressed for people. Like just for yourself. I, I literally get dressed. Cause like, I, I like the way this looks for me or all right, I want to try this for me. So in those periods I would get up, I'm like, yo, you got to get dressed, get up, get dressed and like show yourself that you can get up. That's it. But it was literally, there were days like I would just lay in bed and like, or I would get up, rush Hendrix to school and come back and lay back down. Yeah. Cause like being out was like painful. I felt like I was just like a damn, like, Oh my God. It's such an energy suck. You have no energy left. And then just to be out and put on a face and interact with humans is right. And I, I felt that like point of drowning so much through like, uh, yeah. like I, I, I would, and I'm happy. I'm so thrilled that I haven't been in like that drowning stage. Like I've woken up recently, like a couple of times where I'm like, Oh damn, like I miss my mom or my dad. But it hasn't hit me to a point where it was like, oh, I can't do anything. Like my mom's yeah. birthday was the 31st of January. And I remember last year, I was like, it's my mom's birthday. I like, I chill. I listen to like some of the songs that she would like, like love. Yeah. I, I do the same out. thing for my dad's birthday. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I just vibe out. This past year, like that whole day, I was like, oh no. It hit oh, no. harder. Yeah. But, but it, it was just more like, oh, I really miss my mom and I hope she would be happy for me right now. Mm -hmm. I feel that some days I can, I'll have a pulse on my grief just by realizing how I interact with some of my daily activities, one of which mm -hmm. getting dressed brushing my hair as weird as that sounds if i look at picking up the brush and picking up the blow dryer as like an, an enormous task that's you know, my cue to be like you need to sit back look at yourself for a second and say what do i need because this shouldn't be a big deal this should be like autopilot right like you wake up in the morning you put your contacts in you brush your teeth involuntary things you should be able to do <laughs> totally yeah so was there a time for you that you realized getting dressed wasn't a matter of forcing yourself to do it and forcing yourself to look nice, but you were really just doing it because that's what you did. I want to say I probably never even pinpointed it. Yeah. So it's one of the things I don't even think about, but I, I well, can put tell. it this way. Are you there now? I can just get dressed. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. And it's not about like make yourself feel good. Yeah. Because like for me, like getting dressed in style, it's an art form for me. So mm -hmm. I look at things that like, oh, I, I love the texture of certain things that I'm wearing or certain colors and things. And I know. Like I understand and I hope people see it and like, oh, that's cool. Like whatever. But like when I was going through like getting dressed and like deep depression and grief, like getting dressed, like I was like hoping like spirit, we can get dressed today. It's gonna make you feel great. During like the beginning of the pandemic or maybe slightly before for a while, I did mental health Mondays on my Instagram. Mm. And I said, just do like lives and talk about like what I was feeling and like what people were going through. And I had a couple of people come on and talk and things. And it was a good, it was really therapy for me yeah to do and i think people have been seeing me talking about things like slightly and I, I could tell people were concerned about things i was saying on the internet and i was like all right i need to like be very open because i'm so open and i want people to be who's going through this shit to like feel like they you know can, that they can too yeah can do. and like i'm i'm not like going i've gone through and i'm fine i'm like no i'm going through it every day just like you are and i'm just trying to be fine <laughs> were you surprised by the response you got to that oh it was crazy people were mm -hmm. so into it and and there were times when i didn't do it and they were like oh you're not doing it mental health money i was like because i don't fucking got it i yeah. was like i can't do it if i don't got it mm -hmm. i was like and i and I, I would tell people outward like i don't have it right now or i'll put like a message like yo i can't do this today because i feel like this i can't but i was like but i'm trying and that's all you can do is be honest because that's part of this that's part of the story that's part of the mental health part of it you know yeah, it's weird what do you want the public to know about grief and mental health as a male I mean, our society wants to say that women and females are the emotional ones yeah. and males can't really have that or they're, they're looked at a certain way. What, what message do you want to convey about that? I think it's like so insensitive and archaic and weird that like the message is still like the message is still that. So if I was giving a message to anyone, it would be like for a guy, shit hurts. Tell whoever you're with that it hurts be real about it, being vulnerable and understanding yourself will make it not seem so taboo because it'll put you on paths where you're not going down like real dark shit. Cause like you might be so emotional on the inside and afraid to show someone that it puts you on the suicide watch. It might make you a violent person if you're to your partner, things of that nature. Like you should think of it as like a precautionary thing. Like, damn, I'm super emotional or I feel sad or I should be emotional or I love showing my emotions to like, liking art or things like that. People feel like they, it's too taboo. It's not manly for you to feel like it. it's manly for you to just know who you are. And I love the way you phrase that understanding yourself 
and knowing kind of like the red flags of when you might need a little extra attention to yourself, might need a little help, might need to do something different so that you don't get to the points that you were just explaining. That's, that's a really good point. Like you're a guy and like, damn, you, you need to, like, you need to cry. Like I cry all the damn time. Mm-hmm. Like you need to cry, you need to be more emotional. You need to be more open with your partner. That's fine. That's good. Like it's good. Being emotional is good. That's it. And understanding what that means. I know some days like I'm just hyper emotional. Like I need to be there. Yeah. Right. It's I a release. Like I can't be like, oh, let me suck that up real quick. Cause I don't need people to know that I got emotions. I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell is that going to do to me? Mm-hmm. When you just build it up. Yeah, I always say about grief, you, you can't ignore it. It's going to find you some way or other. So it's right. either you let it out when it needs to go out and it's, you know, controlled or right. it just builds up and it explodes until it's something so terrible. Yeah. And like, you will hurt yourself so much being tied down from like not grieving in an open way. You don't have to, you don't have to grieve for everyone, but like outwardly saying like, damn, I'm hurt. you can physically like you be by yourself. Like, yo, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I miss my mom. I miss my, I miss my dog. I miss my, my whatever. Mm-hmm. And saying it or writing it or telling a therapist, you grieving silently and not getting it out can lead to you being so depressed and hurting everything around you. Like everything. Absolutely. I appreciate your vulnerability here and, and sharing that with us. I wonder if you had any reactions from people that were maybe a little shocked to hear a male be so forthcoming with his emotions. I had a ton of people, like way more than I expected, specifically men who were like in the fashion world and everything, people who I've worked with in the past and things of that nature were like, yo, I've been on the brink of suicide recently. Like I needed to hear this. Or like my such and such just passed, like my mom or my dad just passed. And I'm like, I didn't know how to handle this. And like, just hearing that. And like, I let people like, yo, hit me up. Just talk to me. Like, yeah. what's going on? What people forget is that people need people. So like, as much as you like might have a significant other, if, if you're not open with them, but someone that you like look up to or follow that you feel like you have like some kind of relationship with, especially in like the social media era, if they say something that piques your interest or like they show how vulnerable their shit is, and you're like, damn, I, I feel that. Or like, I never expected that from you because you look so polished and perfect. Mm-hmm. What I made myself do, if someone reached out to me and said something, I would ask them if they were okay. It's just a reminder that everybody's got something. Every single person. Exactly. When you mm-hmm. are vulnerable with people, you only invite them to be vulnerable back. And nine times out of 10, they're gonna be because they got their own shit going on. My husband yeah. says it all the time. Like I am the type of person, like I need to talk about my dad as much as I possibly can. It's almost like, I don't know if I need to like break that barrier and just like say it out loud because I feel so uncomfortable holding it in sometimes. And like so many times I'll be like, oh yeah, well, like I lost my dad in 2017 and blah, blah, blah. And people are like, oh, I lost my mom and whatever. Or, oh, this happened to me too. Or, oh yeah, this person I lost. And then you instantly just have a bond with them or you instantly just understand differently or you're instantly just not alone. Right. When you put it out there, other people are going to reciprocate. I think a lot of people too feel like people don't grieve. They're they're afraid to say like their thing. They're like, oh, my my dad died. I can't say that in public because like because I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. But you're making yourself feel uncomfortable by holding it in. And sometimes I think I'm probably too open with it. I'm just like I feel feel like this right now. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. it feels so good. It like like just let it out. Like Uh you can tell. You you can get a good read on people where it's like all right, we're having this convo. We're talking shit, whatever, whatever we're talking about. And it feels right. And like, if you react weird, like, it's fine. Like I can't change that. My dad died yeah. <laughs> in this conversation, 
or did I said this to you? We're going to keep rocking. Like, well, this is what I'm trying to change, right? It's not yeah. our fault. It's their fault. It's right. society's fault for not knowing how to handle it. So let's have this podcast out there. Let's have other messages out there so that when we, the people who are grieving, need to be able to let it out and need to be able to get that support from people, it's not looked down upon because okay. it shouldn't be. It's a natural part of life. This is happened. What do they say? Three things are guaranteed. Birth, death, and the kitchen is always dirty. That's it. Yeah. And it's <laughs> as much as we get complicated and like we have all these ideas, like people are going to think this about me. I'm going to feel this. People forget like we're just people. We all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. We all want to be touched. We all want to be understood. Mm -hmm. And like people think that like grief is too intimate sometimes, but you're everyone's openly grieving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does. So like, it feels like a very raw thing to let somebody in on. But, you know, I've got to say, I can't really think back on a situation where I shared my grief and then regretted it. Exactly. And that's what people don't think about. They're like, damn, I'm going to share this. I'm going to be so broken. They're going to think this about me. And real, like, no one gives a damn about you. Like, no one yep. really cares about you. <laughs> yeah. But until you, until they connect with you. So, uh -huh. like, this is a connector. Like, I, I listen to people's conversations about like random shit. I'm like, that wasn't an important thing. Like whatever they were talking about. If you have something that you're grieving about, that's important. Mm -hmm. So if someone's going to listen to you about that, that that's a thing. Like there's so much random bullshit. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, what you're wasting time. You're wasting breath. This is useless. <laughs> so you're afraid to not share your real shit, but yeah. you'll share something like, well, I got these, this hat and shit. I'm like, nobody cares about your hat. And to that point, it's always so the, the thing that I love about the podcast is getting everyone else's perspective or even the stuff I put out on social media. And maybe you felt this way with Mental Health Monday, people chiming in with their own thoughts, their own perspectives, their own opinions on their grief or their mental health. And so much of that has helped me look at my situation in a different way. So yeah. to be able to feel safe enough to bring it up in those general conversations, you as the person in that conversation are hopefully learning about grief and then you and I, as the person grieving, are are inviting another person to to give us their opinions on maybe how we can try something new to handle it or or, or whatever it may be. I mean, right, we are here as people to interact and to learn from each other. So why is grief any different? Yeah, because, you know, people don't want to hurt. <laughs> I know. Well, guess what? That's what this... <laughs> whole experiment of life is all about <laughs> every day but we'll be fine we'll get yeah there. i mean the highs aren't going to be as high if you don't feel the lows it's supposed to happen like yeah nobody wants it to happen but things are going to happen and like the way you react and how the world reacts around you and how you deal is like that's the collective like moving forward so like where we're at in this conversation is like all right grief how do you deal with it how do you you deal with it by like communicating with people and if people want to like really be on board, like dealing with their own shit too, they'll be open about it. Mm -hmm. And like from the societal side, we were both like, why can't people understand? Grief is real. Like this shit happens. Like stop being so guarded about it. It's like, it's generational. Yeah. So now we're at the point where, where situations like this, there's podcasts about grief. There's people who are talking about it. There's celebrities talking about it. There's all this stuff. And it's like, oh, it's real. People go through this. Oh, you just discovered that people died or... <laughs> Like it's really, yeah. what it feels like. So, have you ever connected, speaking of celebrities, I mean, have you ever seen, or did you have a moment where you saw a celebrity being open about their grief that impacted you? Oh, it's going to be taboo because like it's, it's fucking Kanye, but when, when his mom died, yeah, 
like I remember that moment that hurt me mm. big time because I, I saw his shift mentally mm-hmm. and I was like where he went is where I probably would have gone if I was in a public spotlight mm. mm-hmm. like at that level like I was in the spotlight but I wasn't I wasn't a global person global mm-hmm. icon so like seeing that happen, I was like, oh, I know what that feels like because when my mom was around, I had that relationship that he had with his mother. It was like best friend, like number one ride or die person who's going to lift you up and like tell you about your bullshit. Even I was like, she died when I was 11. So from being born to 11, she put me on. She like, this is what you need to do. This is what blah, blah, blah. So seeing that real time, that like made me feel, made me feel two things. I felt sad. I felt so sad for him as a person, but I felt like validated as like a creative person in a human being that like where I felt crazy as hell is not just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Even the people who have everything are going yeah. through it. Yeah. Because like you can have every bit of money in the world, everything. If you have a parent that you love to death, you lose that parent, mm-hmm. you lose everything for a period of time. You are fucking lost. Mm-hmm. Like it's done. Yeah. And that's it to transition we'll we'll close out with some of the the pop culture things this was a good segue with Kanye if you had three dream clients that you could work with for their style who would it be oh all right here's I'm actually start with a woman because I love her style personally and I saw a friend of mine who's a photographer was shooting her uh, three weeks ago and I lost my shit (laughs) I love Jenna Jenna Lyons she used to be the creative director for J crew okay she had a show recently on HBO called like something stylish and lions, but it was great. I think she's probably the most stylish woman, man. I have to look her up. Okay. The lions. She's great. I would love to personally style Adam Sandler. Mm, yes. I think he needs it. <laughs> but like, I think like the Adam Sandler style that became like the big like deal over the last year, like his just natural basketball playing style mm-hmm. is great. But I think if, if you saw like any part of uncut gems, yeah. you see him like slightly suited up. I was like, he could be like the person who could just be like the, you know how, who was it? Like Steve Carell, who like, as he got a little bit older, yeah, like, the suited up, slightly casual suited here and there. Mm-hmm. Like, that could be a good one. A third person to work with a, a dream client. I don't know if I'm worthy of working with him as a dream client. I would love to work with like a LeBron. Oh, yeah. Just because of like the height. I'm like, I want to like, like style someone like talk. Cause like, I don't do too much like personal styling. I do like, I'm going to host an event. I'm going to style for the event. That's that's clothing focused. I do. I haven't have done personal styling though. So it's always interesting because people want to look like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I need you to look like a part of me, but mostly you. You. Yeah. Who in Hollywood do you think needs a total makeover? Total makeover. I, sh- I should have left Adam Sandler for that. For that I one. know. I was going to say that would be a good one. We can say that's him. That's that's yeah. one. Because I, I think like he, because he has like a, a real like natural swagger about him. Yeah, he's such a real like, dude. Yeah. yeah. Like he doesn't even have to like to be like super buttoned up, just like little things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just also like, like clothes like, that fit. Maybe we could start yeah. there. <laughs> but I'm also like liking the direction of like some of young Hollywood, young, like the music industry, like Tom yeah. Holland, other man right now. Mm-hmm. Like he, whoever his stylist is, is like killing it for him right now because they're understanding like, yo, he's young. He doesn't have to be like, like corporate suited. Like, oh, yeah. we're going to put him in like a corduroy something. We're going to throw him in these like sexy cardigans. And I, I wish like that style would translate towards a lot of people because they think style, they think suit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, style is all clothes. It's fit. It's pattern. It's your skin tone. That's what's going to work for you. So there's a whole like, I think there's a style renaissance 
because I agree that it's everything is changing right now, but I, I love where it is. I feel like it's so different. I think it's it's fun. Uh huh. I think it has been impacted by these two years that we've been in COVID and that leisure has come back so big and things aren't so serious anymore. And it's, it's, I like the way it's heading. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's fun for me too. Cause like I'm relearning. So I'm like, South things is like, it's cool to see the shifts in style and lifestyle for the world. What do you think is the next big trend that we should look at? Next big trend. This is the first time that I've like looked at trends and none of them make cohesive sense. Like mm-hmm. in the past, you can be like, all right, we're going to have slim suiting come in. Like, but right now you look at it. So, you know, the brand fear of God, it's like, baggy suiting and almost like a mix of what like Kanye was doing and Rick Owens would, was doing. But then you take Michael Bastion now, who's now the, the fashion director at, at Brooks Brothers. You think Brooks Brothers is like button up. He's doing preppy, but doing it sporty. Mm-hmm. So like, I think the biggest trend is going to be that true hybrid, like uh, fluidity yeah. will continue to be everywhere. I think you're going to see some like real good pockets though, of like people who were like men's fashion traditionalists doing what they did, but like just tweaking it and make it like a little bit more of the time, but still exactly what they were doing. And people were like, oh man, I missed double-breasted jackets, but someone did this with that. And I like it even more, right? Mm-hmm. I missed wingtip shoes, but they made them chunky. So like, here's a brand. Yeah, putting like a new spin on the the old things, yeah. yeah. I think it's this is gonna be like the tweak culture, like taking things and slightly tweaking them. Tweak culture. I like that. You heard it here first. All well, right. the first time I've ever said that. So tweak culture. <laughs> so we're ending here on a little bit of a soft note, which I like. I mean, we started with a little bit of the fashion, went real deep and heavy. I absolutely loved this conversation that we have. I, I really well, like hearing you. your Thanks perspective on everything. Uh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I I don't know. Any any closing words that you you have for anybody that might be really feeling it right now? Shit will always be tough, no matter how happy you are, because you're thinking about how tough it can be. It's okay to feel that. But remember, like, there's a lot more in your life that you have control of that can make you happy or make you feel good. Embrace those things. Embrace those people. Embrace those moments. And, like, don't feel bad for feeling good for yourself. Love it. Wise words from Men's Style Pro. Sabir Peel, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. John, thank you. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.